This is the black boy, what you gonna do out here on your own? This is the black boy, don't you know remember that don't want you grow? This is the black boy, what you gonna do when you time to get old? This is the black boy, this is a story that ain't never told. This is the black boy, what you gonna do out here on your own? This is the black boy, don't you know remember that don't want you grow? This is the black boy, what you gonna do? Okay, so it's Leroy Moore and Indian Dustin. So Dustin, I want to really talk about your work. You know, I'm very impressed by your work on police brutality, you know, because I've been doing it since the 80s and seeing another brother with a disability doing that work was really um, impressive to me. And you also work in disability, so tell us about your work. Tell us where you where you at now. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, my name's Dustin. I'm calling right now from Hartford, Connecticut. I've been here oh, for Hartford. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Hartford. Yeah. I grew up in, <laughs> yeah. up in East Hartford and West Hartford. Word, I live uh in Asylum Hill right now. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> you know what that's wild too, because like another one of my elders, uh Ken Mitchell, he grew up in um Hartford, but he lives in like Atlanta now. So I've known him independent living stuff, but I didn't know that he lived in Connecticut for some time. Oh wow. I thought I, I thought you were in Philly or Baltimore somewhere. Pittsburgh. I was in Pittsburgh for like seven yeah. years. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I started kind of doing uh, uh, this work in, through the independent living movement. Um, through that, I worked at a center in Pittsburgh, well, three different centers uh, right outside of Pittsburgh, um, doing like a lot of like direct service work, um, which I still do. Um, and then being part of like a disability rights movement. Um, but it wasn't until I linked up with like other black disabled people where I started to transition to doing disability justice work. Um, and that being like rooted in deinstitutionalization still um, and decarceration and abolition work. So like, as it currently stands, um, I help get people free from institutions or support them through it. Um, psych wards, asylums, nursing facilities, prisons, jails, um, and then help support uh, peer support networks that people can build up on their own once they are out. Um, and that's like the crux of it. Everything else kind of just like uh, uh, flows together, like the decarceration work. I do like some uh, uh, work around policing. Um, and that's usually like in the form of like supporting coalitions that are trying to do things. Wow, you know, so being uh, a person of color, are, are, are you African-American? Yeah. Yeah, so being a black disabled man, you know, in disability um, rights, disability justice, and, you know, incarceration, you know, what do, what, what do you see the movement needs to do, you know, as, as a black disabled man? <clears throat> well, I feel like the movement needs to like uh, uh, 
hold our own people more so than at least I have in the past. Uh, it feels like a lot of the work or energy uh, just on a broad level has been uh, uh, focused on inclusion into whether that be spaces that uh, disability is erased or blackness is erased. And it feels like it needs to be more like internal work of building up our own black disabled community. Um, building our own institutions, having conversations, uh, being in community with one another. That's like one of the things that like is, is always in the forefront of my mind is like the, uh, the me not knowing for the longest that there's other black disabled people in the world. And then it feels like an entirely different lifetime now that I know black disabled people exist. Um, I mean, the things that I've learned just about myself and about the world has just like vastly uh, changed since that moment. So I think that that needs to be the work is like finding each other. Wow, yeah, it's so true, so true. And also, I, I, I noticed that you are a poet or a hip hop artist. Or... <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, at one time, that's like a, a rite of passage for a young black person to want to be a rapper. Um, so yeah, back in the day, I used to record mixtapes, songs. I don't think I ever released anything. We used to sell them like hand to hand at, at like the fair and stuff. But uh, wow, that's cool. That's cool. So do do, do you still write? Do you still write poetry? Or do you still write songs? Nah, I just I just do jokes, <laughs> jokes when I'm around people. But no, nah, I haven't written a song in years now. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you know, getting back to your work, you know, what do what do you see in um, you know, this police brutality? You know, like you know, we've been through, you know, Black Lives Matter, and now. Coming out of you know the, the recent killing, and you know what what do you see about um because for me you know doing this since the eighties, you know once again I see black to sell people being left behind. So you know what what you thought about police brutality today, yesterday, and tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, well. I think that uh, it feels like the, uh, for me, at least in a lot of the spaces I was in, it felt like the focus was on like extreme situations of police violence. And it was also framed as if these were violent incidents that just happened uh, during the course of policing. Um, but I've since moved to like understanding that policing in and of itself is a violence. Um, and if we're to understand like what has happened to black disabled people for uh, generations now, then we understand like the formulation of police and just their existence is a way to police bodies, minds. It's a way to criminalize people's behaviors. It's a way to pathologize disability. Um, and now the project for me is just abolishing police um, to the point where we're not being policed like that, right? As, as long as we have police, we will have prisons, jails, institutions, um, and then those places are always going to be overpopulated with disabled people, right? Either that's the reason that they're actually going into these sites of confinement, or while in the site of confinement, they will develop disabilities. 
also like that extreme understanding of or, or the extreme incidents a focus on that i think uh we missed the mark by talking about all the ways in which policing is just violent in general like just to think about us being under surveillance and by us like black and brown communities um 24 7 and like the impact that that'll have on us right um also like all of the harassment that comes along with it um so there's like all of these like uh, there's there's a myriad ways that policing itself uh enacts violence but it feels like as movements we focus on um police killings which is definitely a part of it but that's not all of it yeah yeah you know give, give us an, an example of a person that you help set free from institutions, group homes, or jails, you know, was, was, this, was there one case that you really felt, you know, good about? Yeah, um, there's like, one of the things I always, uh, what I'm always reminded of is like somebody that when I worked at one of the centers for independent living, do like nursing home transitioning. We don't call it homes anymore. We call them nursing facilities. They're not homes for a lot of people. Um, but stories of one person doing uh, uh, like cookies in a power chair in the parking lot every single day before she came into work uh -huh. was like something that like really resonated with me. Um, also, uh, I'm just trying to think about like, like I don't have an individual person that, uh, you know what I'm thinking of, but more so like what it feels like to collectively be in uh, a space where everybody there had been institutionalized at one point, and then to just be thinking about other things. So like when you're in an institution and want to get free, like your mind is on freedom, right? Um, and that kind of controls uh, your world. But once they're out, it's like now thinking about you know like what park is open on saturday that we can go to and what time does it close like so like just like routine life things um also there's like a couple in georgia that got out of uh uh state institutions there um and were living together so mm -hmm. like while they're in the institution like they were segregated their entire time there for decades and then on the outside they were like they, they kept their love strong while in the institutions and then on the outside were able to live together. So I think of like moments like that, that, and I've seen like a bunch of people be reunited with their families. Um, those are always moments that like I cherish and hold on to. And it, and it reminds you of the reason why you do the work that you do. Um, yeah, to see people just like free is probably the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, what what did you think about because I had thought about this when it happened when Obama um signed the um the the act to um to do more um community housing in less institutions. But on 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 the other side, um his housing um authority on chair at the same time, you know, cut um HUD. So so you know, you you have one side saying that, you know, yeah, free the people from the institutions, but you have the other side that's cutting public housing. So, you know, what do and you know, especially now under Obama, I mean I mean under 
Donald Trump. It's gonna, it's gonna weird because Donald Trump is taking Obama's lead on that on that issue. It's like the one one issue that he took the lead from Obama to to um, do more privatizing housing, which you know totally um, eliminates you know public housing. So. You know, does does that affect your work? You know, um, trying to free people from institutions. Yeah. So, like, I don't know much about like what happens at the federal level. Like, we really lean on um, like the fair housing organizations and like whatever area I'm in. Um, but like on the ground, like that one thousand percent, like a lack of accessible and affordable housing is always an issue. When I'm thinking about like people in uh, like Pennsylvania prisons, uh, a lot of people are uh, would qualify parole for parole as long as they had a housing and an employment plan. Um, for the disabled prisoners that I'm working with, like it's almost impossible to have a housing plan, right? And depending on like whatever their conviction is, it's almost impossible to get employment. So what ends up happening is they stay there and they max out on their time. Um, when they really could have been released four years prior, five, six, seven years prior, um, but they're just maxing out on that and they're just still coming home to not have an employment and not having housing. Um, so that affect, affects it. And then there's just like almost no affordable, accessible housing. So any cut to like any type of public housing fund um, has always impacted us. I'm thinking about the county in Pittsburgh where we uh, uh, allocate like just like maybe like 25 affordable accessible houses for a specific program for people that would be nursing home eligible for the entire county and every year i have hundreds of people that um are asking for support in finding housing so a lot of people are pushed into like segregated residential centers because of that they're pushed into nursing facilities um or they're criminalized for not having houses so yeah it's, it's always like at the forefront of it. And that's like one of the impacts, like when we're not looking at things holistically, right? Like we know that housing is like a huge component of health, um, but now we're risking, even right now in Pennsylvania under managed care, uh, insurance providers being able to determine like, what is the, the need that you have to live a healthy life? And if any company I don't trust, right? But insurance companies, I definitely don't, so. <laughs> So you know, you you've been doing like with a group of people been doing um um COVID nineteen um video chats. You know, tell us about you know how did that happen? Tell us about the team that you're working with, and tell us about um what's coming next for that. Yeah. So uh, myself, Sarah uh, Jarrell Johnson. Uh, Dorian Taylor and Talila Lewis, uh, we just all kind of had like individual conversations about some of the things that we wanted to see like out in the world and that would benefit us as people. And the biggest was being able to find each other. Um, so we wanted to find a way to create space for that, knowing that this is a moment that a lot of disabled people are at risk. Um, for dying, a lot of disabled people are also poor, so they're essential workers and can't, uh, 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 don't have the privilege to, to be protected as a lot of people do. 
Um, we also know that this is also a moment that will be disabling and a lot more people will become disabled because of this and they'll be trying to figure out how to live. And then the last part of that is that as disabled people collectively, we've uh, been innovators and uh, could offer to the world ways to, to move and navigate through this um, that would benefit all of us. So all of those things into consideration, um, we wanted to address some of the gaps that were out there um, by hosting webinars and having people be able to like visibly find other folks, right? Like us to begin with, but hopefully transitioning to more people. Um, we're putting together a collection of essays with it that will really like hone in on some of the gaps that have worked. Uh, we're working with Black Youth Project to put that on their site. Um, and we're thinking with that is like, so I've been a part of a lot of abolitionist conversations. There's a huge movement to decarcerate prisons and jails, but they're not connecting that with like nursing facilities and asylums broadly, right? So to really talk about like what policing looks like for 302 orders in a time where more people will be isolated, possibly more people depressed, more people calling the police for welfare checks, um, and what that means for disabled people, right? So to try to address some of those gaps, we're going to do the webinars along with the collection of essays. And out of an act of solidarity, Black Youth Project has been like, cool, like, we'll put it on the site. Um, and we're really hoping to reach Black people, right, um, yeah. with those. Good, 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 great, great. So, you know, what, what, what do we do as Black disabled people to, um, to tackle what, what I call Black ableism? So, you know, people can, Black disabled people can come home and really work with within our black communities. I mean, you know that better than I do. So. <laughs> um, I think well, one of the things that's really helped, like, uh, is like like work of people like you, like the excavation of a black disabled history. Like, uh, even during that last webinar, I forgot to say it. Like, hey, Jacob Lawrence was somebody that was in an institution, institutionalized, and this is the reason that his artwork was this, right? Like, so, like, like talking about how disability has always existed is like one way to help. Um, I think another way, and, and this is like very important to me, is to, to leave the Western language of disability in the way in which like we talk about it in the US, right? It's like very white centric. It's very, uh, it, it derives from like a legal, the social services framework that inherently situates disability as a negative, as a deficit. Um, but there's all of the ways in which Black folks in particular have talked about disability forever. Um, but we don't use that same language. So I think one of the barriers is by coming in immediately and saying disability, saying chronic illness, rather than like talking about what we actually mean right like some of the times we're talking about people living with diabetes right like there, there's a process that needs to happen to form a political and social identity as disabled um and i think that we do that like in music uh tl and i put out a disability solidarity playlist 500 artists talking about disability but never saying the word disabled um so i think about people like lil boosie who had cancer and the reason he develops cancer is like a lot of disabled people that are incarcerated, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
and we wouldn't call him disabled. J. Cole, one of my favorite rappers, put out an entire album about addiction. Never said disability, but like all of those are like disability uh, uh, pieces of art. And I think that we get so caught up, at least I get caught up in using the Western language of disability to communicate with my own people that I miss the forest with the trees sometimes. So I think that's one of the ways. And then another way is like, just absolutely just calling out like the ableism that transpires, right? So like the same way that the disability rights movements are not, that they've been racist, like uh, uh, black centered movements have also been ableist. And I think uh, uh, calling in of that is like super critical for, for us to do that work, right? Like white people can't do that, um, nor would I want them to. I think that's something that needs to happen like within our own community. Yeah, so true, so true. Can you email me the, the link of the playlist? I love that, I love that. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. So, you know, what, 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 what are you working on now? I know, I know your work is ongoing and, you know, your activism is ongoing. But, you know, what are the projects that, that you're looking forward to now? Um... Well, some of the big things is like coming out of that collection of essays that I was talking about with Saray and TL, um, trying to build like some type of informal network of black disabled people to just be able to communicate with each other um, and figuring out like where that lives, how it happens. Um, is it a monthly thing? Is it, uh, um, yeah, just trying to figure that out. And we want to root it in political education as well. Um, so that's like another thing that like we know that uh, uh, has been missing is uh, people being able to get together and then once they're together forming like a political ideology, right? Like it took me a while to become somebody that, that, that believes in abolition and that's not gonna be where everybody lands. But um, I think it's important that when we do have black visible disabled people in the world that they're also like, have like a politic that benefits all of us, right? Because um, we don't want to run into a situation where black disabled people become visible and then they're also peddling the same shit that we have had for decades that have been harming us. Um, so yeah, to figure out what education looks like. Um, also, I just started at People's Hub, which is like an online movement school to do like some access implementation and disability justice, like connecting work. Um, so I'm super hyped about that. The first project coming out of that is uh, uh, we're doing Crip Camp after parties. Um, but as a part of that, trying to like train like deaf folks to be able to be tech support leads, facilitators, um, people that can hold space um, for non-hearing folks. And we can build upon that um, and take the lead from them. So those are just like a couple of the things. And what, what, what would you say to black, disabled, and deaf men and boys, you know, in this society? Because there's, there's a lack of anything around black, disabled, and deaf boys and men. I don't know. That's a tough one, right? Because, like, I want to be realistic about it, like, uh, that it is going to be hard, like, in, in, there are absolutely systems that are set up to, to destroy us, but then also to know that like other people exist that are working to actively dismantle them and being a part of collectives is, is 
is at least for me much better experience than being an individual in the world right to to view myself as a part of something larger has been critical um so yeah and people came before us as well so that's always like the the, the biggest things for me but yeah and and i love you like um i think that's also like a big thing right like a lot of disabled children especially black disabled children are not uh, uh being told or or being cared about in a way that uh, they know that they're loved. Yeah, yeah. So, any, any, anything else you want to um, promote? Um, you talked about your future projects, but anything else that's coming up for you that um, people should know? Um, no, I've been interested more so in in disabled art over the past few years. Um, um, a part of that interest has come from like the work that you've done and other people. Um, but yeah, there's like artists like Yo-Yo Lin and Shannon Finnegan. Um, I'm gonna now drop like a bunch of names like Saray, Jarrell Johnson, um, like people like that that I've really appreciated. Carolyn Lazard, um, where it's like this, especially in this moment of a pandemic to, to know that art has existed that has spoken to this time before this time happens is like really interesting to me. And I'm trying to find new ways to communicate messages, like the, the uh, uh, writing articles and essays and things like that is helpful, but it's not accessible to everyone. Um, and the way in which I've learned in foreign political ideology has not been through just reading essays and articles. A lot of it has been like on the ground in the community with people, um, different forms of media. So I say I'm interested in the art, one, just because I'm interested in consuming it, but also figuring out a way to leverage it and use it to advance political messaging and propaganda, quite frankly. Cool. So once again, you know, tell us how can people get in contact with you? Tell us how people can support your work and promote your work. Um, my website I have, uh, which is DustinPGibson.com. Um, that has a section on the website, uh, Tree Moss, which is uh, some of the places that I've, I've pulled learning from. So there's a collection of articles, essays, uh, media, just a list of people. Um, there's also some offerings that I've put out into the world. Some of the webinars we recorded are there. Um, some articles, some video projects. Um, and then from there, you can find like all my social medias, email and all of that. Oh, one more question because it's it, it, it's been like for me it's been like knocking my head against the wall. So I bring I bring this up in every conversation, especially with black people. It's like how do we get into these black historical colleges around disability? I don't know. I've been I've been on the college circuit for twenty one years and I haven't I haven't I had no clue. What I was doing. Yeah. That 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 like baffles yeah. <laughs> I don't know, because there's like there's such this paradox that like it feels like we live within. Like mm -hmm. I just started college community college just last semester. Oh. Um and before that I had applied to a bunch of universities that didn't admit me 
but they still invited me to speak and like paid me to speak, right? But they wouldn't admit me as a student. Um, but then there's like another level to that where HBCUs, like I have never like spoken with somebody from HBCU about like speaking, like holding space. And also a lot of it is student driven, right? Like some of the universities that I go to, um, I work with student groups, whether that be like National Lawyers Guild or the Disability Group, sometimes like their racial justice groups. Um, but the HBCUs, I've never, yeah, been in contact with them. They've never, yeah, just, so I don't know. It's just weird. It boggles my mind. Yeah. Right. It does as well. I mean, I don't know too much about academia either, but I'm not familiar with any uh, academics that work in HBCUs that are doing disability-related work either. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Any anything else? Last call. No, I. I mean, I have questions for you, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do it. Yeah, so I would, I want to know, like, from your purview, like, how does it feel to have uh, a generation of, like, younger Black disabled people uh, working on some of the same things that you've been working on? And, like, also, like, what are some of the things that you, you look and you see, like, damn, like, I did that 20 years ago, like, <laughs> you should go another route? Like, how does that feel? And what are some of those things that you think we should be doing differently or we shouldn't do at all? Oh my God, thank you for that question. You know, I feel so excited now to see black disabled people that are younger than me, you know, taking on these issues. I was like, finally, you know? <laughs> So I'm so excited about that, and I just want to support it in any way. Um, the thing, the thing that really um, is a downfall, and probably it's just me, is that I see a lot on social networking. I don't see a lot when I go to the streets. You yeah. know, so that's that's really a downfall. Um, down ball is that, and I, I understand it, and I understand people have to make money, they have to pay rent, I understand it, but I see a lot of black disabled people being front people for a white organization, you know, it's like, no, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I do understand you, you have to pay rent and all that stuff. So I do understand that. Um, I would, I would, you know, I mean, there's just tons of stuff that I would like to see. I would like, I would like to see, you know, people in those situations to push their boss or to push the institutions to have pilot programs. I mean, I, I, I said it in, the, I think I said it in the, in the COVID, you know, talk is that during um, Black Lives Matter and all that movement, we had such an opportunity time to have at least independent living centers to do pilot programs around police brutality and black and brown communities, you know, and 
it, it just didn't happen. It's like, oh my gosh, such a good opportunity. I, I just saw that just, you know, passed away. Yeah. There's a, <clears throat> another thing I've been wanting to ask you is about like disability justice is like the question that you 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 asked me earlier about like how do we uh, uh, address like black ableism and disability justice for me has like been somewhat of a vehicle to be able to communicate with people at least like have like conversations around it because um, it, it it's addressing like you know a black experience in a way that like disability rights doesn't. Um, but along with that is like the co-optation of disability justice, right? Oh, like there's like institutions that like, that have disability justice as a part of it. God. And <laughs> one, like it's just like not accurate. Like disability justice can't live within an institution, right? Um, and then like it wavers from all of the principles. Like it is like something that is abolitionist. It is something that is like uh, 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 striving for justice and not like rights-based anything. Um, so yeah, I just like want to get your thoughts on like what you feel about the co-optation of it, and the fact that it's being it, it it's being co-opted not just by our own people but by white folks as well. Yeah, and like what that means for a movement. Yeah, you know, oh man, thank you for this, <laughs> for this um, question because I feel so. Um, so, so mad, you know, and, you know, Patty Byrne and the late Stacey Parker just passed away. You know, all the work that we've done in disability justice, you know, black and brown, straight, queer, trans people, I mean, it's, it's just sad to, to see that, um, that organizations in academia just like it's running with it with without even asking us or even looking back and say, okay, pay, okay, do right, what do you think? You know, and and also if I look if I be honest, it's it's a given. We we we've seen institutions do that with hip hop, blues, you know, going all the way back. So, you know, it, it's a given that it's going to happen. The really down part about it is that, that it's happening and plus all the resources and money is going toward them, you know? Yeah. So once again, the people that started it is really on that society trying to do work, you know, that's that they won't ever get the point blame from, you know, even our black leaders, you know, they won't get the blame blame. So that's 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 what's so frustrating, you know, to 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 look at it and it's like, oh my God, you guys are taking it and you guys are not even black, you don't even have the Principles. I mean, it's right there on the website. It's in the it's like, it's, 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 it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's been a framework that has allowed me to connect with so many different movements. I mean, it it demands that it's cross movement, right? And that yeah. there's solidarity there. It's anti-capitalist, like, um. So yeah, it, 
it, it hurts me to 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 see when I meet like new people that are like uh, energetic about like uh, disability justice and their idea of it is like this watered down version of it because wherever they're getting it from is like a co-op place. Uh, yeah, that I, I feel like that really hurts movements. And I think that more people should call that out too, like the co-optation when it happens. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I I turned down so many gigs, so many awards, so many, you know, I turned down Lincoln Obama when, when he wanted me his cabinet because I know it's not, it's not true, it's not honest, you know? And it, I know I know it's hard for other people to do that because they look at awards as a stepping stone, you know. They look at you know a hashtag going viral as a stepping stone, you know. So yeah, it's 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 hard to see that our own people <laughs> will you know pimp it for a grant or something, you know. What's I got just one last question. Yeah, like yeah. how how do you uh yeah, how do you navigate that? And you kinda alluded to it right now. You talked about you just uh uh turned down an opportunity to go to the White House and be a part of Obama's uh cabinet. Like how do you I don't know, how do you balance that? Because you call people out all the time. Like, <laughs> like you tell the truth in public in a way that not a lot of people do, like myself included. Like, but I know a lot has to come with that. Like, yeah. people have to, like, say things about you. Opportunities are blocked. Like, I don't know. How do you navigate? How do you deal with that? How do you rest well with it? Well, I think I, I, I know that I surround myself with real people that, that that A, loves me, and that A, that's doing real work. You know, Poor Magazine, you know, Sins of Ballet, you know, you, you know. So I surround, my, I surround myself with real people, you know, and that keeps me, <laughs> it keeps me online and say, okay, do you work. So you're doing good work, you know, you don't need that. Or found Instagram. You know, I just, I just, I just, I just, I just got, um, yeah, I was separate, a dancer, black disabled dancer, was on the board of this uh, COVID 19 funding, and she put my name into the group, and I got, I got a small, you know, award because of that. You know, so, you know, just just to realize that other people got my back out there, you know, it, it is good for me. And, and you know, I, I also re, redefine words, you know. I redefine what famous is, you know. My famous is, you know, being connected to my community. It's not, you know, being on stage with Jay-Z, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, um, I think, yeah, Christopher Reeves came to Clip Hop the first year and tried to buy Clip Hop, offered me $10,000, <laughs> uh, 
I was like, what? Because you, you had no politics. But, you know, I could, I could <laughs> back because I realized that, you know, that clip-hop is larger than just a paycheck, you know. Yeah, that, that reminds me of Solange's album where Master P was like, yo, they tried to get offer me 10 million, so I knew I was worth like 100. Well, yeah, how do you, how, 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 same question to you, you know, how do you keep on going, you know, being a black disabled man, especially knowing in Connecticut, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this. Connecticut is a new one. I'm still like transitioning and figuring out uh, yeah, <laughs> what the landscape is. But um, no, I, I feel like uh, uh, as long as like I'm making, as long as I'm not like wavering on my morals and principles, like that allows like me to have peace, which I'm much more interested in. Um, as I become older is like having like, the ability to sleep well. And I, I can sleep well knowing that like I missed out on a check, even though if like that like really hurts. Um <laughs> because like it's not something that I don't I don't believe in. So I try to have that guide me and then just have faith. Like really have faith that I'm gonna be okay. Um mm. yeah and yeah I mean it comes along with like attacks and things like that as well too. Um so I'm 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 fine with that, and that's like the, the 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 sacrifices, if it is a sacrifice, I guess that I'm willing to make because I feel like the work that I'm a part of and like the people that I'm doing with, like collectively, like we are strong enough to like withhold things, um, and we we have like power, like we actually have power, like when we when we live in the truth, like and we stand firm in it in our beliefs, um, that we get more respect, people respect us. Um, and we have power to actually like move the shit that we want to move forward. Um, when we're not like being real about like the things that we see, it feels like it's very easy to be moved. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, we just don't have a lot of power. And I'm interested in building power outside of institutions. So that's like something that like we absolutely have to do. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Oh, thank you so much. That's good. I appreciate this. Yeah, this is great. I've been trying to, you know, to talk to you and, you know, to give you insights. And like, like I said, you know, when, when I heard about your work around police brutality and institutionalization, I was like, oh, yes. So, you know, thank you for your work. Word. And you know I appreciate too. And yeah, you already know. Okay. Okay. Have a good one. All right. All right. Peace.